0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 452. Today's show is brought to you by ZocDoc, Electric, and Setup. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason.
1: Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good.
0: I have a Snow Talk question for you.
1: Oh, good. comes
0: from Sims, and Sims wants to know, Jason, what is your go-to fast food restaurant, and is this different on road
1: trips? I... Don't eat a lot of fast food, um, but uh, my current we there's a small California chain uh, called Starbird that does like chicken tenders and chicken wings and stuff like that, and and you know fried chicken sandwiches. And there's one one exit up the freeway from here. I, I I've been there a lot lately, so uh, so Starbird may be my favorite right now, just of the moment. Um, this looks nice. Enjoy it. It's good. It's really good, and they've got like you know you can order ahead, um, and uh, or you order like with a touch screen when you get there, or you can sit outside on a nice day. Like yeah, it's good. So um, and sometimes we'll get that coming home from um, from curling. See, dropping the curling references again just on the way home, just because because we curl over like lunch, we get over and it's lunchtime. So you gotta. There is, however, also near the curling place uh, an In and Out, and and since Sims asked about road trips. in and out is my is my go to uh, In and Out burger, which is mostly a Western U.S. phenomenon. Uh, it's my go to for road trips. Uh, partially, I mean, I like it a lot. We actually have one in Mill Valley, not far from my house, and I almost never go there. Um, but when we're on a road trip, uh, it's a nice, it's a fun treat to get a burger. It's road from trip. In and out. It's road trip. We, indeed, in the truest sense eat of the word.
0: Uh, that In and Out during the like. Life giving episode where we recorded outside. Of uh, we had in and out for that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That was our. That was from our in and out. That course. was from that in
0: and out. From As... from the
1: the uh, the the uh, outdoor bird chirping episode of Upgrade last June. Yes, absolutely.
0: Probably my favorite episode of Upgrade ever, mm. <laughs>
1: because just what it meant to me in that moment. It was it was like we salvaged a little something out of yep. your terrible terrible trip. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think we can say this, uh, exclusively announcing it here. If we get a chance to record an episode of Upgrade at my house again, we will probably record it outside just because. Yeah, we're going to do because that. Because we can.
0: Yeah, we're going to do that. This is mm. the hope, uh, it, you know, if, if I'm planning on going out and we're planning on staying a little bit longer in San Francisco afterwards. So we'll, I'll come down to you and we're going to record outside again, I think, because that was just... Good Fantastic. memories. Maybe this time mm-hmm. we can make Starbird the official uh oh, lunch
1: of we could. Of that could. episode. It's pretty good. It's pretty pretty tasty.
0: Just need Apple to, you know, put those dates out there. Come on, oh, come on. This is
1: this is Tim Mike. I was very busy last week. I wasn't <laughs> able to announce it, but uh, I'll, I'll take your take it under advisement for the next time. Tim out. Thanks, Tim.
0: If you would like to send in a snow talk question of your own to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just go to upgradefeedback.com and submit yours. I have some follow-up for you, Jason Snell. We had oh, quite a lot okay. of people write in, which is not typical for follow-up for the show. Like sometimes we get little bits of bobs and links and stuff, but I've got a lot of people who had uh, some things to say about our previous episodes. So I want to go through some of those. The first was Roman who said, over the years and now recently again, there's been a lot of discussion about the iPad as the future of computing. We spoke a lot about it on last week's episode we did uh, ramon goes on to say why is it that the industry isn't giving microsoft the recognition for already introducing and the future of computing with this surface products what makes the ipad different
1: all right snarky answer is why isn't the industry giving microsoft credit for windows phone it was there way ahead of the iphone mm-hmm. it's kind of the same though i mean it is kind of the same the answer is so for surface because uh, I also got this in, uh, comment in, in a sort of different direction from somebody who was uh, talking about our complaints and said something like, have you used a Surface notebook where, where it's detachable? It's it's not a good experience. I'm like, okay. My response to that person, and th- they took it in stride and actually reacted positively, was the iPad Pro with a magic keyboard on it seems like a pretty good convertible laptop to me, Right
0: part of the problem with those convertible surfaces where they're like the surface book which i think i don't even think they make
1: anymore or like that oh you're like, right it's the surface book surface laptops just a laptop it's like yeah. it's the one that's got the like the weird multi thing hinge and they're trying where to where you can take it out yeah cuz you got to put you got to put the um in a detachable tablet let's just set the terms here you have to if it's a laptop that's also can be a tablet you have to have the processor and battery at least some in the thing in yeah. the screen because that you 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 toss away the keyboard the best way to think of it is the ipad right yeah. the ipad has everything it needs to do its thing in its little slab keyboard and or slab uh, uh, display and then if you attach a keyboard to it and the physics are tricky, which is why there's the cantilever thing and why they've they've done, Apple now has done a kickstand on the low-end one, and Microsoft has experimented with kickstands. There's, there's weird physics at work there in terms of getting the forces to all kind of align.
0: But I think one of the things that has made those products really difficult and not work very well is that they were running like Intel processors. And so they just couldn't be efficient enough. And I think that's the difference between what some of the stuff Microsoft's done and what apple has done with the ipad is that it's incredibly powerful in that box
1: i'll take it a little further too I, I I do think there are engineering challenges and like well we can't like, can we put one brain that's low powered behind the screen and then put another brain and we switch and like there's yep. lots of discussions like that probably going on i'd say the other though that to get to Ramon's core question i think the difference is that microsoft struggled to create one version of windows that would work in both modes and i think apple has had it easy by having ipad os and mac os be separate yes and and that's because apple had the iphone and it was separate from the mac so apple that was an advantage microsoft's great advantage is windows right that they have windows the disadvantage is they were trying to adapt windows for touch but also recognize that most windows users will never use it with 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 as a touch tablet, right? So you don't want to subvert the Windows experience, but you want to have a good touch experience. And at least in my experiences with these things, and I do have a Surface, like my Surface, I find almost unusable as an iPad, right? Like you can kind of fake it for some very similar stuff, but basically no. But if I if I snap the little magnet keyboard on it, it's a PC.
0: Good to go. And
1: you can use it as a PC. So I think that's Microsoft's challenge. So when when we were talking about like what my idea of like what if there's a an iPad mode that a Touch Mac goes into or a Mac mode that an iPad goes into. Like well what happens there? I mean the beauty of it is that Apple has already built the iPad interface. That's a touch first interface. I don't I I agree with the people who argue that blowing the Mac interface up to making it like a touch first interface isn't going to work. Again, like with Windows, you can get by probably like I've done that on a, on screen sharing with a Mac with my iPad. I can kind of drive the OS. It's not great, but you can kind of do it. But like but the iPad OS interface is a great touch tablet interface and and that that was why my argument was you know not that it would be easy but the the smart thing to do might be to consider it essentially two different modes and when you either you snap a keyboard and a trackpad on an ipad and say let's go into mac mode and it becomes a macbook air or you pull the uh, screen off of a future mac laptop and it becomes an ipad more or less uh, in that moment uh, and again, what does that mean? Is it running iPad OS? Is it just running iPad apps? I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of hazy, like to be figured out. Um, But I, as people who listen to this show regularly will know, I have very little patience for people who seem to simultaneously think that Apple can do anything, but not that one thing that you suggest. I'm not saying Apple is perfect, but I'm thinking they're very capable of doing a lot of stuff if they put their mind to it. Nothing should be considered out of bounds and impossible for Apple to do, especially since it's adapting their own existing products. Anyway, so I think think that that Microsoft's challenge was always that... I mean it's a an echo of the Steve Ballmer era challenge in general which is windows 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 and so like they they did that metro interface that they unveiled way back when was like a really awesome touch prominent interface and I remember I was there when they unveiled it at the D conference and I was like oh wow microsoft is really coming hard for the iPad and the the end result was that they they started walking it back almost immediately in the demo literally literally they're like let's flip over to Office which is just in a standard Windows interface and I'm like oh guys what did you do and they spent the next few years walking it all the way back because Windows was too important um, and so that's that's my take on on Surface is that it it isn't you can give them credit like you can give Bill Gates credit for saying let's put computers inside phones but uh, it's not quite right. And the iPad had the advantage of coming out of uh, iOS and being just a pure touch interface that didn't have to serve the macOS audience at that point.
0: I will say to Ramon's point, like, it, I think it does make sense. to Like, if we're going to have that conversation we had last week, I actually do wish I would have mentioned Surface at some point of like, here is well, where, how well they're doing it, it kind of doesn't matter for me it's like this is this is more what the type of area i want apple to push towards
1: sure i i did mention pcs that have been experimenting with different you know use cases and design styles for mm-hmm. the last decade plus. So that was my that was my nod because it's not it's not just Surface, right? It's not just Surface. There no. there are a lot of PC companies that make convertibles yeah. in all sorts of super weird ways. And so Surface is an example of a convertible. And yeah, it's the platform owner, so it's 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 important. But uh, we can cite them. But there are lots of PC makers who've made super weird, mostly not quite right, but interesting convertible um devices that run Windows.
0: On the same topic, the iPad topic, uh, Mathaus wrote in was something a couple of people wrote in with this. I saw some comments like this on Mastodon as well. It says, I think you are stuck with the idea that Pro in iPad Pro means more akin to MacBook Pro. For many artists, the iPad Pro is a critical tool for their work. Other auxiliary features like file management adjust that. They're to enable the artistic workflow of moving with images. So my initial read on this is like, I make the same criticism here when Apple seems to suggest that the most important pro customers for the Mac are video producers, right? Like, oh, here's the MacBook Pro and it does this for video and this for video and for Final Cut and for video. Like, it annoys me. Like, similarly, when Apple does a lot of marketing around the iPad Pro as like for artists, like for illustrators, like I think tailoring your pro product to just one customer segment either in features or marketing doesn't really make it a pro product like it would make it instead of ipad pro like ipad art or macbook video right like like just because there is a type of pro that uses it that's fantastic but the point that we're making is the same that we make for the macbook pro of like this needs to serve developers as well as it serves video producers as well as it serves writers artists and on and on and on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I think that, that part of the challenge is Apple doesn't want to segment, and this is what you just said, doesn't want to segment a a product so that it serves a tiny market, right? It is meant to be more more broad than that. Also, I, I, I disagree with the idea that we're stuck with the idea that Pro means MacBook Pro, especially since I kept referring to the iPad Pro as having the same hardware as the MacBook Air. By the way, you can do professional work on the MacBook Air. My point was more um what are what is apple spending time on cuz if apple wanted to spend time on features for artists like increase offering a mac like the advantage of the iPad Pro is that it's got the higher refresh rate and the nicer screen and so it's going to be nicer for artists than the iPad Air but like i feel like there are a lot of advanced iPad features that uh again are trying to get toward the Mac but not quite getting there and like do artists really served by stage manager and external display support? Like, I feel like if you were arguing for artists, you could say, "What if they made a better iPad Air that had a nicer screen with a faster refresh rate for the Apple Pencil and for the screen itself?" And that would be that. That is a an interesting product. I would also say um, there's a little bit of a uh, of a taste here of, but you know, but I I like it. It's like, well, great that that's great. I'm trying to think of I'm not trying to think of me personally and saying, "Why don't they make the perfect product for me?" I'm really not. But I am using my experiences to say, I'm wondering if their strategy here has led them to a place that, again, yes, people use the iPad Pro and like it, but Was this the right progression? I'm also not saying maybe, when I say that maybe the iPad Pro was a mistake, I'm not saying maybe serving artists with a nice tablet was a mistake. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I wonder if if Apple's original plan was that the iPad was the future of computing and the iPad Pro as a name was the vehicle for that. And then very rapidly, they realized that the Mac was going to be great and on Apple Silicon and uh, it was going to go on forever and that the iPad, well, what is it now? and i think the ipad pro suffers from apple not really quite knowing what the end point of the ipad pro is but um i'm not saying that the ipad i got i got a lot of feedback from people who seem to have not heard us or read like they read federico's summary on mastodon of what we said and didn't listen to what that we said that was the issue we
0: got like a lot of tweets cuz federico but yeah. replies posts wave you call because Federico said something. Honestly, there's people even know upgrade existed. So like yeah, whatever. so
1: so that's that's my overall comment is I think we were pretty clear last week about the fact that we're not saying that the iPad is bad. <laughs> I love my iPad. I'll say it again. I love my iPad Pro and I use it every day and I do use it to get actual work done. We're trying to think about the bigger picture here about sort of like the this feeling that the iPad. At the high end, and again, there's literally in that MacWorld column because I also got feedback from people who didn't read the MacWorld column but were tweeting about it or, or posting a Mastodon about it. In the MacWorld column, I specifically say like the even if their Apple were to try a merger of some kind where there's a device that is Mac-like and iPad-like at once, I don't envision the Mac going away or the iPad going away. Like. I think Apple's, I think the core iPad market is not the iPad Pro, right? It's people using the iPad and the iPad Air. And that I don't think is going to change because that, in fact, my argument is sort of, if the iPad isn't ever going to be the future of computing, maybe Apple should focus more on making the iPad Air awesome as a just a touch tablet with yeah you can attach a keyboard to it but it's not the future of computing the the stakes are a lot lower rather than continuing to sort of like build these big software projects that are making sort of mac like features like i love the idea that the ipad drives the external display now with stage manager but like what who who's using that what tiny percentage of the ipad user base is using Pro- that proper external display support for multiple windows with a keyboard and a mouse, not not just like attaching it to a projector, but like the the real stage manager thing, and and that's an example. Or putting more into files, which is not the Finder, <laughs> but it is something. Like, is there is it worth doing more investment in that? That that's sort of my big picture thing. But yes, I think a lot of people didn't listen, uh, and I'm not saying that that Mathaus is one of them, but I'm saying we got a lot of feedback that was like. what about the iPad? Why do you hate the iPad? And it's like, we didn't say any of that. But I did hear from people who basically said, I love the iPad Pro, and I'm glad they have these features, but I don't want it to be a Mac. And it's like, uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Again, I'm not, I don't think I agree, but I don't strongly disagree. I think I'm more trying to ponder the lost, it's almost like the opportunity cost of if you would, if Apple had had known at the moment that it started work on the iPad pro that the Mac was not going to be a legacy platform that faded into obscurity, but was going to go to Apple Silicon and was going to be very popular. Um, And I have, I have heard more that because again, I said last week we didn't actually know that it's just a feeling. I have heard more hazy, vague suggestions that that is true (laughs) that they really did not think about the Mac as anything more than a legacy product. And then there was a shift. So the opportunity cost of the iPad being put up as being the future and that the iPad Pro being this vehicle that they would invest a lot of effort in on the hardware side, but especially on the software side to sort of make it more Mac-like. If they had known at that moment that that wasn't the case and that the company was never again, going to be like behind that as an idea, right? That, uh, I think they would have made different decisions. And I think that a lot of the people who have been working on the iPad the last few years to keep pushing it upward and upward are doing it for an organization as a whole that doesn't share that enthusiasm that the people working on the product do about this product, because I do think there's a disconnect, right? I think people working on the iPad Pro are really excited about the features that they're working on for the iPad Pro, but I feel like culturally, the company kind of moved on from that and is really excited, as they should be, about Macs running Apple Silicon instead. So I don't know. It's complicated, and a lot of that nuance vanishes on social media. So be it.
0: couple of other ones. A follow-up before we move on, as comes from Ken, who says regarding the braided solo loop stretching out over time, it does shrink like other fabric. You can wash it and then, while wet, it dry it for a few minutes with some heat. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken says I used a hairdryer for five minutes and that was enough to shrink it down so it fit more snug again.
1: I'm concerned that the elastic is actually stretched, but I have tr- and I've tried this before and didn't seem to have much. But I I didn't put. I didn't put the heat rapid heat drying step on there because there's always the fear that you're going to ruin it. But at this point, my uh, beloved orange uh, solo loop is too loose for me. I actually, and I wore it uh, on my whole trip to New Zealand. um, And it it was just the whole time I was like, it's a little too loose now. And also it, they do as um, I think I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember. Was it connected? They, They pick up dirt light, Light uh, bands pick up dirt, and so that orange band looks kind of dusky and dim right now. So it needs a, it needs a proper wash. So I think I'm going to follow Ken's advice and give it a proper wash, and then I'm going to give it a proper heat dry, and see if that will contract the the uh, fibers, the 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 or the, the cotton fibers at least, and pull it together so that its uh its base is a little bit tighter, so that maybe it'll be. Uh, not as loose on my wrist. We'll see. I'll give it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a go because I'll, honestly, at this point, if I ruin it, so be it. it. It's not really wearable. It's at the very extreme edge of being wearable because it's so loose. Uh,
0: and also, uh, Apple is adding local announcer support for the next uh, season of Friday Night Baseball, um, and it is no longer available for free. If you want to watch the Friday yes. Night Baseball games, you now need an Apple TV Plus subscription.
1: Right. We knew this was coming. I'm actually surprised they went through the whole year for free last year. But now, first one's free, I guess, season. Uh, so TV Plus uh, subscribers will get access to Friday Night Baseball. And uh, I should mention, Friday Night Baseball, again, it's not going to be on local TV. It's a, it's a national and international exclusive for Apple, which means it won't be like the cases where, oh, one of my local team's games is on ESPN, but it's also on my local channel. It, it's going to be Apple only, just as it was last year. However, what they're doing, which I think is great, and it shows that they listen to the fan criticism of their program, is they're going to do the game with their national announcers. It's people, basically, it's MLB network announcers who are going to do the commentary. A lot of people, that makes them sad because they love the voices of their local team. Apple is going to provide... As they're doing for home teams on MLS, they're going to provide for home and away teams radio audio so that your home radio broadcast of the baseball game will be play, will be optional instead of the announcers that Apple is providing. So if I want to watch a Giants game on Friday Night Baseball and I don't want to hear their announcers, I can flip it over and I'm going to get the Giants radio broadcast with Apple's beautiful picture. So that's an option. I, I, I love that they added that. Um, the only there's a weird restriction uh, Texas Rangers games it'll only be home games I don't know why I don't know why it's very weird (laughs) and if you're in Canada uh, because this is US and Canada only I should say but if you're in Canada uh, you only get the Blue Jays radio audio. Uh, the other radio is, is not available to you. So if you want to watch a, a game featuring the Giants and you listen to the Giants broadcasters and you're in Canada, you're out of luck. And the rest of the world doesn't get this feature.
0: Me in the UK, I can't choose to listen to... You
1: don't get this feature. It seems to be a licensing thing where they have the they, they basically have the ability to... Uh, they've licensed this to Apple. Maybe Major League Baseball actually stepped up and said, we'll give you access to this, but only in the US and only the Blue Jays in Canada... Uh, And not the Rangers away games. I don't know what that's about at all. But um, something happened because they're able to do that. But it's a US only essentially feature.
0: But I think for me, the interesting observation part of that is what you just said, because one of the things we've spoken about is like Apple maybe shies away from sports stuff because it gets complicated rights wise, right? Like Like with the MLS stuff and with the Friday Night Baseball, it's like they can get it and show it worldwide um and so we wondered like you know i saw a rumor that apparently they're going after someone saying they're going after the rights for the english premier league and yeah, someone said that and i wasn't sure if that would be possible again because like they're only going to get it in certain markets but while this isn't that this is an example of like apple's willing to do something which has very weird restrictions from a rights perspective mm-hmm. and so maybe this is them dipping their toe in that water which if they want to keep moving into sports they're not going to keep getting deals like the major league soccer deal like they it's, are going to get worldwide all rights yeah they're going to get wit- cuz that, that's really the only one that exists
1: <laughs> right and and that's the, right the, so the rumor about NFL Sunday ticket which ended up going to YouTube TV was that Apple wanted to do like stuff and uh, that that the NFL was not interested in doing. Uh, here, I, I can't decide whether this was an expediency thing of like, well, the rights are complicated, but we can get the U.S. to work for you, like Major League Baseball would say to Apple. And Apple's like, okay, let's try it. And it might even be, let's try it. And if there's a lot of uptake, then maybe we'll talk about doing this worldwide. But like, let's just carve out the rights. Let's pay, the write the check, or make the amendment for, for the U.S. for this season, and we'll see how it goes. Something like that. Um, there was a... Uh, Another story this week that I want to at least mention in passing, which is the, uh, related to sports rights, which is that uh, Apple and Amazon are both in, rumored to be talking to the Pac-12 conference about their TV package. They're the last college football conference right now to have open an open uh, contract for the rest of the decade. Um, and so they're talking to ESPN and apparently Fox and uh, Apple and Amazon. And uh, there's a story there about how Apple and Amazon are negotiating, but I forget what the actual quote is. It's something like, uh, yeah, here it is. The discussion about how each week's Pac 12 football games are drafted by the media partners typically, which is like who gets what games for a given week and in what time slots, typically only takes about an hour with traditional partners like ESPN and Fox. The same conversation apparently took a week with the streamers, Apple and Amazon. They went back to their lawyers, returned with questions, went back to the lawyers, returned with questions. You get the idea. That's a report from johncasano.com. I also, there's a story that we didn't get to that was originally in our notes here, which is about Apple doing theatrical releases of movies and needing no, a distributor. I got it. later on. So, so rumor roundup, we're gonna get to it. In rumor roundup, and it's the same story again. So we'll get there, but like this is the this is the challenge with Apple and Amazon is they're like um, weird, right? Like I mean, that's the bottom line. Is these entertainment companies are like, what are you talking about? And the, but the tech companies have their own. Take on it, so I'll save I'll save those details for a rumor roundup. But I pulled up since we're talking about sports rights. I'll just mention it here, like this is a, a an ongoing interesting thing where the leagues, the entertainment partners are all talking to these tech companies like Apple and, the, and 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 like they don't they don't speak the same language quite. So in Apple's case here, it is fascinating, like you said, that this is a U.S. and Canada ish only feature, um, which I'd say is counter to what Apple wants to do. But obviously, they felt well. This is our most important market. Let's just let's just do it uh, because uh, they wanna they wanna try it out, and it's been a big source of criticism. And now they can blunt that criticism. I also wonder, long term, based on on viewing stats, if they might consider doing other languages mm. for their broadcast. Right, like if it's very popular in Japan or in Korea, would they consider having a Japanese or Korean broadcast theme or just audio overlay of those games? I don't know. I don't know how popular it is because it's what, Saturday morning baseball there, but uh, I don't know.
0: Just kind of see how things go as different markets get more popular or not. See how the, yeah. We'll see how, it's like
1: with sports in general. We'll see how the season goes.
0: This episode is brought to you by Zock Doc. When someone is super good at what they do, could be a waiter, a chef, a doctor, you know you're in good hands. It's like seeing, you know when you go to a restaurant and you see a waiter like balancing trays of food on their arms and they're just like, the balance is perfect and they're managing it the whole way. That is very awesome. You become confident in that person's abilities. When you find the right doctor, you feel this too. You feel heard, you feel at ease. And with ZocDoc, finding the doctor that's right for you is seamless. The quality care that you need is just a few taps away in the ZocDoc app. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and you're trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy, and that's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. You book an appointment in just a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. One of the things that I think is awesome here is the ability to be able to speak to doctors either over the phone or on video. I hate going to the doctor's office, especially if I'm not feeling my best. It just takes a ton of time things get delayed, it's a huge disruption. But if they can call you, you can arrange a time to do video conferencing, that kind of stuff. With the app, it's like super simple, super convenient. You can still be at your desk, like you just take that time and go, it turns something that would have taken two hours into 15 minutes. It's awesome. So go and check this out for yourself today by going to ZocDoc.com upgrade UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com UpgradeFM. ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and RelayFM. Rumor roundup time. Oh, sorry. As was rumored. Pow,
1: pow, pow, pow. Yeehaw. There.
0: As was rumored earlier on in today's episode. We'll start with this one now because I know you were ready to jump the gun I was jumping it. in
1: there. I was, we're just rolling right in from the last uh-huh. segment at this point. Perfect. Beautiful. I love it. Thomas Buckley and Lucas
0: Shaw at Bloomberg are reporting that Apple is planning to spend a billion dollars a year to produce movies, and they are planning on putting them in theaters. This includes some of the high-profile movies already in production. They're going to put those into theaters. Where they already
1: pr- they already promised the director. Like in some cases, like with the Martin Scorsese movie, they they closed the deal by promising to put them in theaters. Yep. Right? Like Netflix is like, we're not going to do it. We're just not going to do it. And Apple's like, we'll do it. Yeah. If that closes the deal, we'll do it. We'll figure it out.
0: And that's like that one was with Paramount, and Paramount's going to handle the distribution for that one, which is good because. As uh, Buckley and Shaw point out in their Bloomberg article, Apple has no idea how to do this. They don't do this. So that one of the reasons that they found this information out is they are going out to companies, distribution companies, and being like, can you help us do this? Because it's complicated to put movies into thousands of theaters, which is apparently what they're doing. A quote says, the company has pledged to put movies in thousands of th- theaters for at least a month, though it hasn't finalized any plans. So kind of assuming here Oscars right they got to do it for the Oscars anyway so why not do sure. it and make a bit of money uh, apparently as well the focus uh, here will also to kind of use this as a marketing tool for TV
1: plus yeah absolutely because you do so the beauty of it is and this is Lucas Shaw sort of made these points in his excellent uh, media column at Bloomberg um is economical because you market the movie in theaters and then you put it on streaming. And so awareness is already there. People have heard about it. People know about the movie. Now, Julia Alexander and I have talked about this cycle on downstream a little bit. The idea that the advantage of going to theaters isn't just, isn't just that you may make money in theaters. It's like another revenue stream that is not to be sniffed at. But it is a kind of a unified marketing plan where you create a lot of awareness when that thing is going into theaters, not just to drive people into theaters, but to also make it so that when it comes on your platform, they're like, oh yeah, I meant to see that movie or that movie looked interesting. And that has great value because you know this, Mike, right? Like, there are movies that happen and you're like, what? That was a movie that happened and they're completely under your radar. If you're not looking at the Netflix app at the right time on the right day, that movie has disappeared. Or you're like, that movie went to prime? I, I I have that, and I didn't even know that movie was there. I, that happens to me all the time now. There was an Oscar nomination for a movie on Apple TV Plus that I had literally never heard of. Yeah. It had been sitting on my Apple TV all that time. I could have watched it, but I didn't even know it existed. So one way you can change that for your Martin Scorsese movie or whatever is by uh, releasing it in theaters and doing a marketing campaign for the theatrical release so there's lots of like it's a it's a good move not just for theatrical to do the uh marketing for the theatrical release
0: and then the thing we talk about a lot is which is very important and it is that idea of like who does apple want to be makes the creators feel good you made a movie Mm -hmm. put it in cinemas got big posters uh do the whole premiere the whole nine yards and some of that stuff is done just so the people that made the thing feel good about the thing that they made, which is very valid. Um, but it helps. And if Apple want to continue to pull in people like Martin Scorsese, uh, that this is a way to do that. You're like, well, oh well, no, don't go with such and such. We're going to put your movie in theaters, and no, we're not just going to do the two weeks that we need for the Oscars. We're going to do it for a whole month, whole yeah. month.
1: You know, yeah, six weeks, whatever it is. Yeah, and they're and they're. They're closing deals. They've definitely closed deals um on because of this at some point. But there is also a strategy in general that, and again, we've talked about it a bit on downstream, and we'll be talking about it more over there, too. Mm-hmm. But like it's this idea that theatrical, like what what Lucas Shaw says is perhaps the biggest change in thinking over the last six months is what kind of movies can work theatrical before the pandemic. Studios were struggling to get people to show up for anything but superheroes. Coming out of the pandemic, people started to worry about animation, but the solid performance of films like Elvis, Cocaine Bear, and The Woman King has changed people's minds. There is a feeling like theatrical is going to, it's not just for superhero movies. There are other movies that can do well there. So that's part of the strategy with this, because the the fact is every dollar you spend on that movie and marketing that movie, like you got to get it back, not just in the value to your streaming service but it's also like if you can get money on theatrical again you've you've made that movie more successful by having it have the theatrical release where there's box office and if you get a hit you got really good box office results that's good for for you um it is funny and now to get me back to what i was saying before about dealing with streamers is weird what lucas Shaw reported uh i thought this was a a really um Nice way to report it, which is that the uh, Apple is shopping some of its projects on a one-off basis, but it is looking for one of these studios to distribute, to step up and be its distribution partner for a slate for all of Apple's movies. It doesn't have any deals yet, and here's the key line: Executives at some studios have expressed reservations about Apple's approach. Which I, I feel like again, that is tech giants are weird to entertainment giants. Yeah. And entertainment giants are weird to tech giants. Their, their priorities are so different. They come from different places. And as we talked about a lot, Apple and, app, you know, Netflix is Netflix. They have to make money as Netflix. That's their business. Apple, right, like sells iPhones. And then they also have their their entertainment business. So like Apple's priorities are not the priorities of, most of the partners for the entertainment industry. And so uh, it's weird, right? It's weird, but it is interesting that Apple has gone. They haven't made the deal yet, but they have shifted gears from one-offs because we got to make Martin Scorsese happy for a theatrical release to just saying, we're shopping for a distribution partner. That suggests to me that in the future, many, if not all, Apple Movie releases will actually get a theatrical opening before they before they go on Apple TV Plus.
0: I mean, I wouldn't trust that idea anyway. It's like when they started TV Plus, they were working with production companies, and then they're like, "Oh, we'll just set up our own production company." (laughs) Like, I honestly, if they think this is something
1: for them in the in the long run, I could imagine them just hiring some people to do it. I don't think Apple wants to get into theatrical distribution as a business. This feels to me like the kind of business. This is like. Uh, some of its other suppliers, where they're like, well, they could. They're okay. just going to work with Corning. They're not going to. They're not going to make their own glass. They're going to work with Corning. This feels like a very like specific thing uh, that where there's pre-existing deals with theater yeah. chains yeah, from these point. distributors, and it's like they don't want this business. I think. I mean, if they found ultimately, if they felt like this was core to their business, I think they would do that. But this feels like kind of ancillary part of a larger strategy. So they'll probably just make a deal. At some point, although it's fascinating that everybody is speaking a different language now, so it's unclear. Mm-hmm. But it will be interesting to see. This is the this is the real big shift that's happened. Once that quarter happened, where Netflix lost money and subscribers, and everybody panicked, and it became the sort of like the end of the just spend as much money as you want for streaming uh, world, and we ended up in sort of a new act. This is this is very much a piece of that, which is oh, we're, we're not going to just do streaming. We will do theatrical because it brings in some money. And at this point, a little more money coming in for all of these projects helps you know, helps the business make sense. And although Apple could just keep spending money and losing money on all of its deals, I think it's better for Apple if it uh, loses less money on those deals by having some theatrical revenue. So, so yeah, it, don't be surprised when um, you start seeing ads for movies from Apple in theaters now. That's going to be weird, but I think it's going to happen.
0: Shifting gears, but still in roundup, Mark Gurman at Bloomberg is reporting that Apple demoed their headset to the top 100 highest ranking executives. I think Mm. they called this the top 100 uh, in the company last week at the Steve Jobs Theater. Quote, I'm going to read a few quotes, actually, and we'll talk about it. The demonstrations were polished, glitzy, and exciting, but many executives are clear-eyed about Apple's challenges pushing into this new market. The device will start at around $3,000, lack a killer app, require an external battery that will be needed to replace every couple of hours, and use the design that some testers have deemed uncomfortable. It's also likely to launch a limited media content. It could follow a similar trajectory as the Apple Watch, there will be little to no profit at first, given that the components in the device are so expensive and Apple won't be seeking its typical margins just yet. So a
1: few things on this. There's a
0: lot of stuff we know here, right? We feel yep. like we've heard before.
1: From Mark Gurman and from the Financial Times both, yeah. Mm-hmm. But
0: just seeing it again kind of stated in this way starts to make it feel more like it's truth rather than, you know, like that it's been heard enough. Uh, yep. But, you know, the the key part of this report is when it gets shown in this way, it's super close.
1: They've shown other stuff uh related to this, but they haven't they haven't done it at this level. This is the level where it's like it's gonna It's going to ship, right? Mm -hmm. This is the level where it's it's very, very, very close. Instead of it like little being little parts, it's like literally we're going to do this. I did laugh at the detail that this is the top 100, and they usually go to a far off. Well, they usually go to a fancy place, and I think they did. I think they went to like Carmel or something, according to Mark Gurman. After this, I think it's literally well, we're not going to we're not going to demo our unannounced product off campus. So everybody pack your bags. Uh, hand them off. We'll load them on the bus, and then uh, go to the Steve Jobs Theater, and we're going to show you the thing, and then get on the bus, and we'll go to Carmel. But like, they're not gonna—they're not gonna take the headset to a resort outside of Apple and show it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's—they're not gonna be that. I mean, again, not open, but like, they're—they're they're secretive enough that this thing is, you know, not part of the event. That's the offsite. It's like before the offsite or after, uh, yeah. because they're not going to let it leave campus. I just found found that amusing. Um, while we're talking about, because Mark Gurman has been reporting about this a long time, and so this served as a summary of what the deal is with this. I want to mention that uh, Quinn Nelson's uh, Stancy Labs YouTube channel had an excellent summary of all reports about what's in this product and what it means. I thought he did a great job of doing the work of finding out all, you know, he basically got all the details of everything that's ever been reported about this thing and then tried to put it together in a way where it's like, why is this relevant? With some details about like the optics and stuff. It's a really good video. I I, I recommend it highly. Required really good summary feeling, of it. We'll call it. Mm-hmm. I think so.
0: On the same vein, Trip Mikkel and Brian. Oh, X- here we go! <laughs> Stop it, <laughs> Trip Mik. I knew it. I knew. It, I just uh, Trip Mikkel oh, and did Brian Trip, X- Did Trip
1: Mikkel use his disgruntled Apple design sources to set up York a Times narrative?
0: Are reporting that some employees are skeptical or flat out against Apple releasing the headset. They have said that no. it, that it's seen some employees depart the teams that they've been on because. They're upset about it. And Trip Mickle not the only person to report like this. We've had lots of reports like this. I think on last week's episode, we had a similar yeah.
1: one. I, I think, I mean, I said it at the time, and now I'll, I'll say it again here. I think Tri- Trip was a little mad that the Financial Times got his disgruntled design sources from his book uh, on the record at the FT before he could get it in the New York Times. So here they are. They're here now.
0: A few quotes from this New York Times article. Apple is focused on making Excel for video conferencing and spending time with others as avatars in a virtual world. The company has called the device's signature application Co-Presence. 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 A word designed... cop cop Cop-resistance. A a word designed to capture the experience of sharing a real or virtual space with someone in another place. Mm -hmm. This makes a lot of sense to me. As a thing this to is do. that
1: will create a, a virtual person but only one we only have mm-hmm. power for one and you'll be in the space with them
0: yeah me and you in a co-present world together oh man some are a fun some are a fun <laughs> <laughs> the device will double as a tool for artists designers and engineers tracking them as they draw freely in space in image editing applications and tracking hand gestures for the editing of virtual reality films. Lastly, it will function as a high-resolution TV with custom-made video content from Hollywood filmmakers such as John Favreau. Okay, interested to get a name, right?
1: Yes, yes, a name. Maybe the uh, maybe that was that came up in the top one hundred or something. I I don't I don't know. That is fascinating. Such as John Favreau and others, you know. John Favreau. Uh huh.
0: The headset looks like ski goggles. It features a carbon fiber frame, a hip pack with battery support, Mm. outward cameras to capture the real world, and two 4K displays that can render everything from applications to movies. Users can turn a, quote, reality dial on the device (laughs) to increase (laughs) or decrease real-time video from the world around them. I like the way this is described in this piece. Like, again, Uh there's some details here, but, like, this, to me, the way it's described, sounds like it came from a demo right more than this person said to me you know like just carbon fiber i haven't heard him say carbon fiber before i haven't read that anywhere i think
1: that might have been somewhere right in the big pool of stuff i think it might have been somewhere but this is
0: you know like reality dial
1: like the way this is described is just different right it's no i think you hit on it there which is what's described here feels very much like what has been described by others especially mark Gurman, but other people but the the way it's described suggests that it's coming from potentially like uh, yeah like you said like a demo or something where we're getting closer to the actual verbiage that will be used by Apple to demonstrate this to the public, that they've reached that point where it's not, I've seen a spec or I saw a, 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 a test unit and here's what it kind of looks like to being, no, no, here's what they said. They said that we're turning the reality dial and it's got a carbon fiber frame and a hip pack instead of saying, oh, there's a battery thing that you stick in a pocket. Like Instead, it's like, no, hip pack. Interesting.
0: Quote, because the headset won't fit over glasses. Womp womp. The company has plans to sell oh. prescription lenses for the displays to people who don't wear contacts. Now, I really wonder about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Because what does that mean? Is that like the ski goggle thing? Is it going to make a seal over my eyes? Like
1: I don't. I mean, it might in order to completely isolate you. So I have the prescription pop-on things for the MetaQuest 2. Yeah and it's great cuz i don't have to wear my glasses when i use it and the glasses were kind of weird and uncomfortable in the inside the thing so i think the question is like you could do this like you could do apple watch um apple watch band sizes honestly like they could because it's not like you get the complex prescription from your doctor necessarily you can do this as a you know plus or minus whatever uh, fairly simple correction that doesn't require a full on glasses prescription. Then again, I, th- I think it was like a hundred bucks to get those for the <laughs> Quest yeah. too. So I don't know, I don't know exactly how they're going to approach this, but it is going to be a problem for people who wear glasses if you have to uh, either get a prescription from an eye doctor or do the, like I bought a pair of swimming goggles, right? And I didn't, use a they're not custom prescription goggles i just did an i ordered the ones with a certain adjustment yeah. and it allows me to see if not perfectly like well enough and that may be what they do here
0: my only thing for this is just gonna make the purchasing process really annoying like that's how i see it right like for me it's just potentially like, oh, gotta go through this whole song and dance
1: potentially we'll say
0: i mean my prescription's not super strong i reckon i could i could get away with it and then maybe get some lenses down the line if it was a problem but as you say there are depending on your prescription that there are things that they can do in software like for for like making the image look clearer to you but we'll see
1: yeah i mean i i think this is an interesting report there is definitely a lot i heard from a couple of friends this morning who are like hmm seems like there's a lot of narrative building on here i think there is i think people are like i said. I, I am this this story has some narrative building in it that feels very much like the FT story, Financial Times story last week, which is from people who worked on it and left, or from people who have left the company in general, like the designers who said, "Please don't make this product. Just wait for the glasses." Which again, I feel like is an absurd kind of demand. Um, and so, but like you can't deny it. Like it, it seems like some people at Apple. Or who were at Apple are looking at this product like, well, you know, what the heck is this thing? Why are we shipping it? And I have two thoughts about that. One is you're doing it because the higher ups, and I'll refer you to my previous comments about this, because the higher ups look at this and say, we need to be in this space because if anything is going to replace the iPhone, it's something that's going to be downwind of this by 10 or 15 years. And we got the money. So let's invest now because it may fail. But if it if this category succeeds, we got to be the ones who succeed at it because it's going to replace the iPhone. And if we don't do this, it'll be too late for our most important part of our business. And it might replace the Mac and the iPad and everything else too. So it's too big a risk. So we got to spend the money. So that's number one. Like I, I, I could see how if you're working on it and you're frustrated and it seems like it's not going to change the world today that you would have negative thoughts about it. The second thought I have about it is how did people feel about all the other products Apple has shipped that were in new categories? I would bet that, and I know there's a lot of revisionism going on here, I would bet that a lot of people were super skeptical of the Apple Watch and didn't think it was ready to ship and thought it was a mistake, and why are we doing this?
0: Trip Michael's book says so.
1: And and yet now everybody's like, oh, that was, that was a great success. Well, it's like, yeah, in hindsight it was. What I don't know is like, were people really unhappy about the iMac and thought this is ridiculous and a piece of junk and why are we shipping this or the iPad probably not the iPhone but like that's the other part of this is I don't know whether this is evidence of anything maybe this is the most controversial product that Apple has ever made internally and that people are so unhappy with the fact that the that for reasons the executives are like no we're building it maybe that's the case maybe it's not I honestly don't know, but I, ha- I do not doubt the reporting here that there are people who are very grumpy and, and skeptical about this product and this direction that the company is taking. What I think is really interesting, Mike, and this goes to the our, our classic consider the source thing, which is, have you noticed in the last few weeks th- the downplaying that is happening about the success of this product? I think that's interesting that it's like oh it's going to be very expensive and they're not going to sell very many of them and it's really just going to be for high-end uses and and even though there's these there's these portrayals of sort of controversy about it I've started to sense a trend in pieces that are downplaying its immediate success it'll be like the apple watch and follow a similar trajectory it's not even going to make money at first it'll give it time it's a long range kind of thing and I'm not saying that somebody at Apple is responsible for seeding that kind of uh, attitude in these stories. But again, if it's not, it's doing Apple's job for it. Because I'd want to do that if I was at Apple PR. I would want to diminish expectations for this product. And it feels like that's happening. Even in this New York Times story that has got some grumpy stuff in it, there's also a lot of kind of like, expectation setting for the product
0: well i agree with you i think these are like separate things that are happening like people are complaining yeah and then apple is also at the same time pushing out this narrative to people because it is starting to become like not even so much like oh it just feels like this is fact now and Uh there is i can imagine this possibility of uh, some under promising going on here and i'm yeah. not even saying they're going to over deliver like under promising deliver right like but i think that that is perfectly acceptable for this product and goes back to things that we've been saying for months now of like yeah. just be honest about it like mm-hmm. that this is the first one there's going to be more but you got to start like that and that right. is a yeah. perfectly valid route for this product Rather than trying to say we're changing the world here now. Yeah. It's like no literally it takes time. I mean,
1: do they have do they have the guts to put up a picture of Steve Jobs and say real artists ship? I, I think it is actually relevant to this. Because mm. at some point you do have to ship a product. You mm-hmm. have to get on the treadmill. You have to start your path forward. You just have to. You you can't you can't advance let's wait five years and build this in secret. Like you can't do that. You're not going to get the feedback. It's not real until you ship it until the, it meets the world. And then you discover everything that's wrong with it. I was struck by the line in, in Mark Gurman's piece that is it lacks a clear killer app. It's like, well, I mean, first off the New York times story talks about this co-presence thing, which obviously some people at Apple think might be something. We also know that some people at Apple thought that the killer app for the Apple Watch was digital touch, (laughs) okay? But again, one of the reasons you launch the platform is to find the killer app. And the killer app is not usually baked in the product. The killer app usually happens out in the world where people look at the tech that's inside the Apple headset or anything else and go, oh, you know what we could do? And then they build it and it's something that's unanticipated or it hits just right in a way that the other things that tried to do it just didn't. And you create a killer app. The killer apps don't always happen. And the platform owner can have a lot of input into sort of like whether they work or not. But like, the Apple II. I'm forgive me if I'm getting my history a little bit wrong here, but like it's not like the Apple II shipped because they knew what the, they knew that VisiCalc was coming out, right? The first spreadsheet app. That's not how it works. You ship the platform, and then somebody invents the killer app for it, and then everybody goes, "Oh my god, yeah. I can't believe!" And then and then it seems obvious, and then it all gets re- kind of retro retroactively defined as being this genius thing. Like there so. wasn't
0: a killer app for the iPhone. It was just like the whole thing was exciting.
1: I was thinking about this today. I was thinking, what's the killer app for the iPhone? And I could argue that the killer app, I mean, I could make an argument that the killer app for the iPhone is Safari, that like literally you could go anywhere. Yeah,
0: but nobody thought that was exciting at the time.
1: I know, I know. And the truth is the killer app was the app store, which allowed all the killer apps.
0: Right, which didn't come... For you know, like there wasn't months. there wasn't one. It was just like this entire product is fascinating, and it does everything a little bit better than how you're currently doing it. It didn't have like the one yeah. thing when it was announced that pushed it over the edge.
1: You're right, and then 18 months later, or or so, they they announced the app store. Which changed the game and that did lead, did open the door and did lead to more, but it wasn't there at launch. And, and you could argue came about in part because they shipped the first one and with their sweet solution for development, which was web apps. And the world said, no.
0: yeah Mm-mm,
1: It's no. like there wasn't you even a killer app. It was software.
0: the killer app store, right? And then everybody yes. had their own killer app. Like that's actually how you
1: do exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. But it was not there at, at launch. So I'm not saying, again, the lack of a killer app is not proof that there will be a killer app. That's, I mean, that's uh-huh. madness. That's not true. But the lack of a killer app is also not proof that there won't be, right? It's, it's just, we don't know. killer app. That's what we're doing. Yeah. There's with. a box and there might uh-huh. be a killer app in it or not. We don't know. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know. That's that's yet to be. But again, until you ship, you can't open the box. Until you ship, that's the thing ultimately about all these arguments about this product is like, again, one, I absolutely a- agree that I think that this is being pushed at the highest levels because of the big, terms, the big picture strategy of the future, which is hard if you're working on the product and you feel like it's not as good as it should be. Yep. Totally see that conflict there, right? But like, two, I really believe that some of these comments about like, oh, I don't know if we should ship this is like, it, it just, it, that, especially the FT story last week, it just reminds me of how invaluable it is to ship a product. Like shipping a product, there is only so much you can ever do to a product behind the scenes. You have to ship it. It's like in, in my business of writing articles on the internet, it's the equivalent of you, you post the article and the moment you post it, you see three things that are wrong with it and you have to edit it. Like there is something about being out in the world that makes things different. It's because anybody can see it and they can, they can pick it apart and they will do things with it that you're not used to. And like, that's, that's actually kind of magical. And that's the number one reason I'm interested in this product is I want to know what it is, but I, I mean, I, I'm sorry to bring up the cliche that Apple likes to say, but you know, there's something to it, which is we can't wait to see what you do with it. That encapsulates it. Like in the end, Apple can do what it can do, but in the end, it, you got to release it and wait to see what somebody does with it. That's the important part. This episode is brought to you
0: in part by our friends over at Setapp. Of all of the tools that are available to us these days, looking for something new to improve the way that we work can feel like drowning in an ocean of apps and services. There are so many available, and not all of them are worth your time and money. And so many of us are paying for subscriptions, for apps, for services that we've never properly integrated into our workflows. So how do you know which apps are worth trying without emptying your wallet at the same time? The answer is Setapp. Setapp is a platform that combines more than 230 powerful macOS and iOS apps and tools under one $9.99 a month subscription. Their selection of apps is incredibly helpful for people that use their Macs for work, covering use cases like coding, designing, project time management, and many, many more. Once you subscribe to Setapp, you get full access to all paid features of the applications, as well as new ones that are constantly being added. It's always worth going back and checking the Setapp store to see what's available to you. You're always going to be making sure that you're not missing out on things. You can actually help do your work more effectively with these tools. And it's all for just a fraction of the price. Setapp is the smartest way to get apps for people who create value with the help of their Apple devices. It takes away the pain of looking up, comparing, buying, and managing tons of applications. And they partner with some of the world's best developers to handpick the most trustworthy and advanced paid apps for Setapp. Every time. I open setup, I find something new. Like just today, I was recording a setup ad and I opened the setup app and I found an application called Hand Mirror, which allows you to uh, use an app in the menu bar to quickly turn on your webcam to see how you look to make sure that uh, your hair is done and stuff. It's just very clever. I love a little app to try out, but there's tons of stuff. I downloaded an app recently called PopClip. And what PopClip does, you can highlight text on your Mac and it gives you like the kind of ios style, like cut, copy paste that appear above it. But also PopClip has a bunch of extensions. So for example, now I can highlight a sentence and press a button and it converts it to title case for me very helpful. So you can do tons of stuff. That's just with PopClip. There's so many apps available in Setapp. Setapp makes sure to remove stuff that's outdated. They want to keep the collection up to date with the best software around. If you've got a complex task to solve, you can delve into your app collections. And for peace of mind, every app is updated automatically with no annoying ads to distract you. And you can install and uninstall apps with a single click. Go and check out Setapp today by trying it out for seven days for free. Go to stpp.co slash upgrade. That is stpp.co slash upgrade to try it completely free for seven days. Setapp powers you up. Well, thanks to Setapp for their support of this show and FM. So Mark Gurman, in his Power On newsletter, has suggested that iOS 17 will feature several, quote, nice-to-have features that are intended to address some commonly uh, commonly made user requests. You know, they're going to make people happy. Now, this is very different to what we had previously been led to believe, that iOS 17 would just be a bunch of bug fixes because of everybody focusing on the headset. So I thought that maybe today we could talk about what would be a bunch of nice-to-have features for iOS 7. Team. Love it. <laughs> I got in there at the end. I forgot the, the team. team iOS 7, a uh, nice to have feature would be a readable font. That would be a good good feature for iOS 7. Teen. iOS 17.
1: Yeah. Seven-teen.
0: What jumps to mind for you? What would you be happy to see added to iOS 17?
1: Uh, home automation, but I, I feel like that's also, right, like tvOS. But um, I, I am, I mean, we could talk about shortcuts in general, right? I feel like more shortcut support in apps. Uh, more capability for shortcuts to do other things. It, they've been so far behind there. In fact, uh, this would be a probably a good time to mention Alex Hay, the creator of Toolbox Pro and a bunch of other stuff, passed away last yeah. week. Um, they they did a night, nice write up about it on Mac Stories. John Voorhees did. Um, obviously to everybody who was touched by uh Alex in his life and his family and all of that. Uh, our greatest condolences. But I was struck when I read about Alex's passing at how he was doing so much heavy lifting for Apple. Yeah. <laughs> because Al- like Toolbox Pro, Toolbox Pro is a great example of all of the shortcut actions that Apple just hasn't done. That are They're right there. And that Apple hasn't done them. Um, So it struck me this morning, thinking about that, that that would be a, that would be a thing that I would like to see Apple do in shortcuts is um, look at all the stuff built for things like Toolbox Pro and um, do them in the operating system. Because the problem with an app like Toolbox Pro is you have to have it installed to use it. So handing it out to your friends, a shortcut that relies on Toolbox Pro is harder because they have to get Toolbox Pro and all of that. So um, I'm I'm struck by that. And then and then more broadly than than sort of like better better integration with shortcuts and on the iPad, which is not, you know, I've had OS, iOS pretty much the same. Keyboards, keyboard support for shortcuts is a good example. Um, but like more actions and then the home automation side, which you can get to in the home app, which is like shortcuts, but pretty weak at what it's capable of doing and has been weak for a long time since they introduced it. I would really like to see a more sophisticated set of home automations that can run on tvos or where wherever the the home hub is to do more sophisticated things because it's pretty dumb right now even though you can do yeah you can build like home automation shortcuts but they're kind of dumb they just don't I, I i need more i need more conditionals i need more you know if it's within this range and this sensor is above this then do that kind of thing and you just can't Uh, get to that level of specificity. So that would be one of mine.
0: Uh, I will mention here, as I've mentioned forever, uh, I love tapbacks on iMessage. Use them all day, every day. Uh, I wished I could just have all of emoji available to me. Same with Slack, Discord, WhatsApp. Um, It's fine that there's a few that are preset there, but just let me add emoji (laughs) to messages uh, rather than just those preset five things, you know? I would love that.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. That's one of my favorites. And I know, I know why you might want to keep it constrained um, to the five or whatever, but. I just, I want more of a lexicon and emo- the emoji set is right there. And I get that you might want to have them be, first off, people are comfortable with emojis. People are comfortable sending emojis. So having emojis is tap backs and ha- let it be settable or let it be that it's those five. And then you, you know, they're they're the five most recent ones you've used maybe, but then mm-hmm. you can add others or, um, you know, have a, a have a, a more button that lets you pick from the emoji picker. And then that one gets put in your most recents because, Uh, Slack and Discord have shown us that emoji responses are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I love tapbacks and I wish I had more expressivity with them.
0: And that feels to me like you talk about like a commonly requested feature. That's got to be one of them. Like people must be looking for that.
1: Unless there's some very complex way that tapbacks are handled within the iMessage system, you would think that this would be a thing that they could... Not, Not that there aren't challenges to the interface. I just described one of them. But like... You would think that would be a, a pretty, if not easy, a fairly doable thing that would be a win and would be a crowd pleaser because people love emojis.
0: I will say as well, as a similar while we're at that. They're going to change that. I do not need a full iMessage notification for tapbacks. I don't need it. Uh,
1: yeah. I'd love to be able to turn that off. Yeah, what, yeah.
0: Jason said, ha, ha. Like, I don't need that. Like, I, no. I, I don't ha, need ha. It. Ha, ha. You always say, ha, space, Ha. 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 I've said this before, but I'll say it again. That's how Jason. Jason doesn't say it, LOL or anything like that. If Jason thinks something's funny, ha space, ha Very unsettling. Sometimes there's
1: three hahs. It's very unsettling. I don't know. H a h a comes across to me as ha 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 ha, ha, ha. and yeah. that's I find that unsettling. Yeah, in my but nobody goes lo- so ha ha,
0: ha ha like that's not ha
1: ha ha. There it is.
0: Yeah, but I feel like that's there's no space there. Ha. Huh. Ha. Huh. See, it's upsetting. Huh. Uh, widgets. Widgets everywhere. We want more widgets yes. on the log screen. Different sizes, big ones, small ones. Uh, we want, maybe we want some level of interactivity. I think the jury's still out. I don't want it. I don't particularly feel like I need it, but maybe the occasional thing might be helpful. Yeah, loads more widget stuff. That would be good for everywhere that there's widgets.
1: Yeah, I want, um, I want more widget space on the lock screen. And then I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, I want to just put widgets on the lock screen. I just want to put any widget on the lock screen. Ah, uh,
0: like a like a home screen widget on the lock screen.
1: Right? Why? Why? Why are am I limited? And I know there's like, oh well, but your picture and we're creating a frame. It's like, well, you know what? I'm a big boy. <laughs> if I want to put a widget on my home screen and have it cover up the background picture or on my lock screen, let me do it. All right? Let me do it. Let me choose to do that. If widgets are more important to me than the pictures on my lock screen, I should be able to make that decision. So I would like to see that, because I think the lock screen would be a great stage on which to set some home screen widgets, too.
0: Well, anything else that
1: jumps to your mind? Oh, let's see. Uh, I was thinking, I had, I had a vague idea so i just to appear behind the curtain i woke up this morning uh and to a text from mike saying uh we're gonna do this ios 7 wish list so you might want to put some work in there iOS like, seventeen. Okay, all right sorry you said
0: teen. 7 as well i <laughs> something
1: it's a mind virus are we gonna teen. do this for the next year teen i'm gonna change our topic to uh <laughs> One seven t e e n. <laughs> Just to be clear,
0: the problem here with iOS iOS seven so iconic. I would say the most iconic iOS release of all time. Like whether you like it or not, it's like if you were around then, it's like emblazoned on your mind. And so I feel yeah. like I'm going to be calling iOS seventeen iOS seven constantly now and i didn't realize until today that that was a problem but i think it's going to be a problem for me
1: ios 7
0: ios 7 14s it's like a cool version
1: more widgets um anyway i don't even know what i said so so after all of that the the of like getting up on a monday morning and thinking about things uh one of the half brained uh things i wrote down was smart notification center and let me just tell you what my thought process is here. Is One, I don't love Notification Center. It's I feel never like been it's, good. It's never really been good. It's full of garbage. And I thought, and I know that sometimes they try to do some of this, but I thought, because I thought, you wrote down for another thing that we haven't talked about, AI, machine mm-hmm. learning and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Are there features that you could do there? And I thought, I wonder if you could do a machine learning-based summary of your Notification Center that would appear when... Like since the last time you looked, or maybe it would appear as a notification since the last time you picked up your phone.
0: Well, they do have that notification summary thing, but that's not. They do good. have that. <laughs> I it's think. not good though. So yeah.
1: this is what I'm saying is, I, I just I, what I literally wrote down and have not got the details because I just thought of it like an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Is what if we used uh, a AI machine learning summarization or something? could we could we put that on notification center and make it better and useful? because I probably don't need to know everything that's in the notification center, but I wonder if there's a way to like for you to boil it down for me in a good way. I don't know or 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 throw out AI or just something else to make it better because it's just not it doesn't work for me.
0: Something I wanted to write down, but I didn't know how to express it, was just notifications, right? That like the system isn't good fundamentally, and stuff could be done here. Um, like this was especially in my mind as listening to Mac Power users. They're talking about like digital distractions and stuff this week. and Like so, it was in my head. But something like this is like, yeah, just make it better with machine learning somehow, right? right. And this is like you referenced something that I've written down is is a large language model powered Siri. I don't think that's going to happen in iOS 17 necessarily, but I feel like that is just inevitable. So it's just about when they do this. And so like the idea of a revamp of Siri feels like it would be a commonly made request, like, quote, make Siri better, right? And I'm assuming at some point that is going to be a... GPT like thing, right? Where, where, however, Apple makes something like that, it feels like they've got to do this because everyone's going to do this, and Siri will only become more and more of a joke over time if you can't have a conversation with it and it do stuff for you. Whether that stuff wouldn't no matter what the quality of that stuff is, you know, we are we're on a ticking clock, right? Until mm-hmm. either Amazon, Google. Or Apple puts this into their smart speaker assistant.
1: And I get that you don't want the hallucinations and misinformation, but it is so tantalizing, the idea that I could have a conversation with Siri where it would be a conversation and where I could ask a question and get an answer and then ask a follow-up and get another answer. And again, I think a lot of the AI demos that we see out there are bad, right? It's Mm -hmm. write a screenplay or give me... I mean, give me a fact is good, right? But, and a lot of times I did that last week. Um, I was talking to a couple of friends who were Doctor Who fans, and I was like, I'm going to have Chat GPT 4 hallucinate. And I asked it to hallucinate, but like, even when I asked it for facts, I asked it anyway, I asked it to invent a Doctor Who season, which was hilarious and cliched, as they always are. All the answers are cliched because they're built the job. (laughs) But it it did it. But then I asked it for facts, and it hallucinated all horrendously and it's like this is a problem but that's the part that they need to get right I don't need Siri to invent things for me even though it's fun and I don't need to have long conversations with Siri where I talk about the you know the my feelings and it it tries to get me to leave my wife right I don't need those kinds of stories but I would like it if I could talk to Siri and try to get facts and get them in context I would like to see uh I would like to be able to say hey you when's the next giants game and for it to say well it's thursday against the new york Yan- yankees and then I would like to be able to follow that up and say oh who are the starting pitchers and have it give me the answer and then say what about the starting lineups and have it say intelligently the starting lineups won't be posted until you know the morning of the game so i don't know like that's the dream, right? Where it's just it's just better at context and at giving me information in ways that I can grasp. And it can do, again, it can do the wins the Giants next game today. And so can Google. And so can uh, Amazon's assistant, who I fired and sent back to Amazon in a box last week, which was very delightful. She's in a box. Alexa's in a box going back to Amazon. Bye. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the dream. Right?
0: Well, my dream, Jason, is that I can say to Siri, "Hey, once me and Jason were talking about something over uh, iMessage about baseball. Yeah. Can you find that for me?" That's what I want it to do, yeah. right? Like I don't need this thing to talk to the internet. I can I understand how to use a search engine. I can just do it myself. What I'm excited about is being able to take my information and put them into these models. And like Siri on my iPhone should be able to tell me about anything that's happening on my iPhone. Like just yeah. forget searching emails, right? Like, I you know, I just want to say, can you find that email about that one time me and Jason were talking about oh, what the yeah. name of upgrade was going to be?
1: Like, That's the dream, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, on the Mac too, because remember Siri's on the Mac too. Like I, I, I know they've done uh, some experimenting with this, but like, The dream is that it knows that I've got Google Docs and I've got files on my hard drive and I've got things in iCloud and I've got all that stuff. And when I say, you know, when did Mike and I talk about this thing or Slack or Discord, that it would be capable of looking at all my things that are logged in and say, oh, uh, it was in Slack on this date or whatever. And here's a link to that and you can go see it. And I know that that's a ways off because it would have to catalog everything that was happening everywhere. And there are those, there's that app out there that like does that right Where the catalogs everything and records everything you say and, yeah. catalog, you know, and does all of that. But like, but I, I agree with you on a, on a simple level. It is, I, I, if I could, if it's got the corpus of the, um, essentially spotlight search. Right. And I, I, give it a command saying, when did Mike and I exchange email about this thing? Or when did I exchange email with somebody at Apple about this thing? And I don't even know who it is. That it would be able to look at my query, figure out what that meant, make a spotlight query, get the results back, look at the results, see what the most likely scenarios are, and respond with an answer. And it might be, well, it could be this one or that one. And then you say, I think it's this one or tell me what that one is. And then it would give you an answer, right? You can see the applications here. The challenge is there's a reason why none of these assistants are doing that now. And I think it's because they lie. <laughs> like, they don't work. They don't work right. But I would love to see it. You'd love to see it.
0: Uh, talking about machine learning stuff, you I think you put in here um, machine learning editing for photos and you referenced Something like Google or Pixel Like over the last couple of days, I was taking some images, and I was using—I'd um, never done it before—Pixel Pro's machine learning editing yeah. tools. They are
1: unbelievable. I've been—I've been meaning to do a video. Which is, did you know that? that not only does Google make a phone, but that PixelMator Pro has be, or PixelMator Photo has been erasing things off of iPhone and iPad photos for years now. Yeah. <laughs> like every time I see that ad where it's like, oh look, I erased this person and they're not in my beach shot anymore. And I'm like, I did that three years ago with Pixelmator photo on my iPad. Yeah. Look, Mike, I write a book about photos. Every year I update it. Every year I'm looking at what the photos announcements are. I cannot believe that Photos on iOS does not have a retouching brush. Photos on the Mac has one, and it's more like the clone tool in Photoshop than it is like an ML replace tool. But like Pixelmator Photo is right there. It's been there for years. It it, it will do upscaling. It will do an ML-based auto mode. And for all I know, Apple's auto mode is also an ML-based auto mode. So okay, fine.
0: It's nowhere near as good, though. It's nowhere near as good.
1: It's not as good. It isn't, which is why I, I I wonder. And then it's got that it's got that replacement tool, which again is not perfect. But Google is making hay on. Did you know we have this feature? And it's like that feature's been on iOS for years now, but it's been a third party app, and Apple has just not put retouching. And that would be again. I don't know how easy it would be, but like it's there is a version of that on Photos for Mac. I just I would really like to see that because there is nothing like having a beautiful photo of you and your friends or your family on a beach and there's some dummy walking in the background just minding his own business. It's not his fault that he's there, but he's ruining your shot. He's photo you, and you literally just go whoop and he disappears. It is a great feature. It just frustrates me that Google is making so much noise about it since it's been on the platform for years now. So. Uh, I know people will be like, "Oh, look! Apple took Google's feature and put it in." As like, do it, just do it. And other, uh, you know, any anything you can do to make your photo editing on the fly on an iPhone better, do it.
0: Uh, split view on iPhone, <laughs> I want it. Just let sure. me do split view on iPhone. Just like I got a big iPhone, let me look at two apps at once. They're, they're
1: they're not getting smaller. No, I would like that. So let me do that. I agree with you. I think that's a. I think that's a good one. I laughed when I saw that you put that in your list because it is funny. You know, it is funny, but like it's not uh, it's not unreasonable. I, oh. I I'll throw in how about um hey satellite SOS is out there now, and I know they're expanding it to other markets and all of that. But you know what else they could do uh, is actually build satellite communication in. And now that it's launched, right, like charge a fee per message or something tied to your Apple account or have you have to sign up for satellite messaging and it would be only for a limited use. But like I feel like that is a next step for the platform is giving phones that have access to the satellite communicator the ability to send a text message over satellite for a fee.
0: iCloud Plus, baby, you know.
1: Maybe, a in, maybe, you know, or right? or it's a whole extra thing. They might have another... I mean, they said that was for two years, right? It, they may be... I mean, there's no time like the present to start, but if they're going to get people to pay in two years, then you know, start building out what they're paying for. If they're paying for just satellite SOS, or if there's an upsell, or if you pay, do you get more than the basic feature that you get when you buy an iPhone? I don't know. I just... It, it was a thought that I had, that now that satellite SOS is out the door, that would be the logical next step, right? Which is... I'm not. I don't need an SOS, but I sending my location is not like I want to do more than that. You can send your location via satellite, but like I want to send a text message or or receive a text message from a particular person via satellite. Like I know that's complex, but like let me let me do it and pay for it.
0: Last one I'll mention: uh, passwords app.
1: Yeah, I put that in there. Yeah, aren't you glad I put it in there? Yeah, aren't you glad? Right, Mm -hmm. right. Passwords is so full featured as a thing on iOS, and it's hidden in a settings menu. And it's like it's so good. It like there are. I'm not going to name names, but like there are probably other Apple apps that don't need to be apps, but passwords needs to be an app. It 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 really deserves to be an app. They deserve to take all that work and put it front and center and say. We have a password manager. I try to explain the password manager to people, and I say you got to go into settings, and you go, and they're like, "Ugh." It's like, let's not do that. Let's put passwords on the phone. So you tap, and I know that's silly on one level. It's like, well, it's just in settings; you can get there. It's like, yeah, but also, if you're going back and forth with your passwords app, you're in the settings app. It's a, it just break it out, make it its own thing. That's what I say. My, I want to do some footnotes here. Uh, this is mostly about iOS, but like iPad OS, all those iPhone features that are not yet in iPad OS, I, I would like them, like widgets on lock screens, and editable lock screens and stuff like that. Like, please, yep. can we can we get that on the iPad now? That seems to be doable since it's literally already on the platform, just not on the other hardware. And my last LOL wish list item is virtualization, and that's an iPad feature, but like. Let me run a VM on an iPad. Let me let me virtualize Mac OS on an on an M2 iPad Pro. Why not?
0: If we have an LOL feature or a ha ha feature. Ha. Ha ha. ha. Uh, ha. Third party app stores. Lots of people sure. are asking for. Them. Ha. You know. Ha, ha. Ha. Ha ha. This episode is brought to you by Electric. Turning a small business into an empire takes work. You have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to that next level. But this can be hard when your attention is being pulled in different directions. But that is the reality of being the boss. However, the team over at Electric know that small businesses maybe like yours, not only face these challenges, but face challenges that could be done by somebody else. That is why they solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can go ahead and do what it is you're best at doing or what you should be doing. Because with Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to doing those things things. Plus, you'll get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. I know that every time I've delegated work out to other people who are more capable than me, it's not only made things at the business better, but it's made me happier too. That is exactly what electric is all about. You shouldn't be the person who's dealing with software licenses, who's dealing with problems with software updates. You just want someone who's going to handle it for you. And that's what electric can do for upgrade listeners electric are offering a free pair of beats solo three headphones for taking a qualified meeting just go to electric.ai upgrade that's electric.ai upgrade go there right now and get your free pair of beats solo three headphones today for scheduling a meeting our thanks to electric for their support of this show and relay fm let's finish up with some Hash, some ask upgrade questions no hashtag just ask Shot upgrade the hashtag
1: questions. with a laser right there indeed
0: carl says should apple just make a 13 inch ipad air
1: sure why not i i think i think this goes to the 15 inch macbook air question right which is, is exactly like, it yep. are are we gating ipad size based on uh, pro features, or is there a market for a larger iPad? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wonder what market research Apple has done on this front. Because, look, I love my twelve point nine inch iPad Pro, but uh, every time I pick up my wife's uh, eleven inch iPad Pro, I think, oh, <laughs> it's much much smaller and lighter than the thing that I use. And so, I I wonder if people are, if there are enough people like me who would want want a larger thing, and if those people are. Uh, ipad pro users i think the question the real question is uh is the 13 inch ipad pro 1500 in which case yes they should make a 13 inch ipad exactly air. I, yeah i think that's my answer is if yeah. it, they're, they're going the ipad pros keep going further and further away from the ipad air there's more need to have a more affordable larger ipad i think
0: yeah on the face of it today i say no but in the future where they are going to make that a very expensive product. I think that there is value to just having the larger screen, right? In the same way that we talk about the idea of there being a 15-inch MacBook Air and why that might make sense for people, a larger iPad Air at that point would make more sense for people who don't need OLED screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on, hopefully, which is why they will charge you $1,500, $1,800 for the thing. Colin asks... Have you ever tried to develop contacts with Apple employees in an attempt to gather insider information to create sources like those of Mark Gurman? So maybe you could be a rumor roundup.
1: Mm -mm.
0: And do you ever, and if you did this, would you feel that uh, it could harm your overall relationship with Apple?
1: Yeah, so I don't think about it anymore, but there was a time. When I was working in MacWorld and Mac user, there was this definite sense that there were the people who reported on, who, who cultivated rumors and leaks and got people inside with knowledge to talk and that it was very difficult. To, those people were over here and the people who were like writing reviews and things like that are over on the other side. There was always this feeling like you could do one but or the other, but you couldn't really do both. And part of that was the uh, like qu- threat at least that Apple would not talk to you if you're a breaker of, of rumors. In fact, I remember being surprised when I saw Mark Gurman at an Apple event at one point. Um, and he's kind of, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not, but, uh, but I, I, I don't know if that's the case anymore. And the reason that my answer here is basically not lately is I am, I mean, I can't answer for you, Mike, but I am one person I have, I am very limited in what I am capable of doing for my job because I am a one human being. And not only would this require a lot of effort, which would mean I would have to stop other parts of my job because I'd basically be, you know, essentially competing with Mark Gurman. But now Six Colors is no longer a, you know, the site that it is, whatever it is now, it is now a, you know, a Apple rumor site. And I'm limited. So I'm doing less stuff. I, I have to focus on this thing. Mark German's already doing it. And quite frankly, I'm kind of happy with the mix of stuff that I have in my life right now in terms of podcasts and writing and stuff like that. And it would, it, so I'm not in this era, I'm not as worried about, oh no, Apple's not going to send me PR, you know, review units of reviews because if I report about their secrets. Although that might be true. I don't know. Um, it's more like, this it's like, uh, I could write about new apps all the time, like Max Stories, but I don't. I don't have the time. They do a great job with that. I'm doing other stuff. I'm okay doing my other stuff. Right? It would require me to stop doing other work that I'm doing, and I'm. I think the mix is pretty decent right now. So for me personally, that's the answer. Yeah. Plus, also I'd say in the longer run, that is a job I could have tried to do. When I was earlier on in my career to cultivate sources and break news and stuff like that, and i I chose a different path in terms of being I, I don't know, a happier person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that kind of that kind of stuff did not make me happy. It was not the stuff that made me uh, like working. And so I chose to specialize in other things. So, you know when i left macworld and was out on my own and doing this stuff you know you do that thing for a year after you at least a year after you leave where every time there's a real job that gets posted you think oh maybe i should do that job instead of going out on my own and it takes a long it, for me it took a long time to stop the reflex action of part of my brain saying you should get a real job some of the jobs that came up right after i left were like work in the bureau at the new york times covering apple work in the bureau at the wall street journal covering apple and i kept thinking could I do that job? And I thought, I don't know if they'd hire me to do that job. I probably could do that job. I would not like doing that job. Not what I specialized in for a reason. So, I mean, so that's my answer is I do occasionally, and you have this Mike, occasionally we hear from people who listen to upgrade and know stuff and they send us stuff and that's great. Um, It's less fun when they know it and you can't write about it, which we, that definitely happened at MacWorld, where we had cases where we knew a lot about what was to come under the restriction that you couldn't write about it, (laughs) which is like, well, what are you doing now? I can't even speculate about it because I know it's true, but if I speculate too close to the real thing, then I'm going to get somebody in trouble. That did actually happen once where I speculated a little too close to something that somebody else on my staff uh, knew was true. And Uh they got questioned by their source at Apple Saying, did you leak this to Jason? <laughs> uh, and I was like, no, 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 no. That didn't happen. But like, that's the danger of that, too. So now, now I've shut off, especially if they tell me things that I can't report about, then I've shut off my ability to write my column for Macworld or things on Six Colors or talk on this podcast about it because now I know things and I can't talk about it. And that's not great either. So that's a long way of saying I do hear things and people do send us things, but it's like, that's not the business I'm in. And if I had to be in that business, I guess I would try it, but I don't have to, so I'm not.
0: So I think for me, this, I'll start by answering the second part, which is if I truly worried about my relationship with Apple, I, there's a lot of things I wouldn't say that I do say, right? Like I wouldn't be as critical as I can be if I was worried about some relationship, right? Like, but to me right. now it, that stuff I'm not as fussed about that anymore like I've had the experience of having hardware reviews and very slightly pre-release so it's like a thing that I've checked off my bucket list but now I'm not interested in chasing that down like because it's just right. not what I want to do
1: and there are layers to it right because yeah. like I I have had to make a little mental model which is There's, I do have a relationship with Apple PR people and Apple has a relationship with me and as a product reviewer and commentator, you have to build a little wall, which is I'm going to say what I think (laughs) and it's not always going to be positive. And you have to understand that what you get out of it as Apple is you get coverage and that coverage is good publicity. And when I like something, it's good for you. But I'm not. But if I always liked everything, it wouldn't mean anything. Yep. So you just have to ride it. If you're a PR person, you just got to write it. Like Jason's not always going to be positive about what we do or about these things, and we just have to we just have to deal with it. Because mm-hmm. as a kind of creator, you can't live your life being like, oh, geez, I hope Apple is, it doesn't revoke my access because I said something mean about it. I mean, you kind of yeah. can't.
0: Some people do, and I understand how some people can fall into that. Like, but because it depends oh, sure. what you do, it's really right? Easy.
1: But, like, I don't think it's that helpful. The thing that I learned early on is don't make it personal. Yeah. Like, there, I, I witnessed people make it personal about people at Apple. Like, literally calling people out and saying, you know, this person is clueless or whatever and it's like first off i what i learned is we don't know right we don't know what's mm-hmm. actually happening inside the black box we have these characters who are people we know at apple but we we don't really know what they do and we don't really know what their role is we we don't and there are other people we don't know and they're probably just as important but i have i have seen people kind of trash their relationship with apple or other companies by making it very personal and to me it's like it's not about the people it's about the products it's about the strategies it's about the services that's that's what it's about so that that is if i do have one flag in my in my brain about like keeping good relations with apple it's it's literally i've boiled it down to professionalism which is yes this is not i'm not making this personal not only is that not my focus the personalities inside apple but like i and i don't know So why would I even go down that path? And we're not just keep it professional. Don't make it personal
0: either, right? Right. So like, and I feel like maybe that's appreciated. Like, and also I find it very rare that I've had a complaint where maybe somebody's brought up and they haven't, in some way, agreed with me or like given me some kind of challenge which is interesting. Like I don't feel like I say wild things. Same as you, right? So like that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. But to go back to the like the other part of the question because I answered it backwards have you ever tried to develop contacts of Apple employees in an attempt to gather insider information? So there's a podcaster that I enjoy, Greg Miller. They do basically what we do, but in video games, right? And They do the kind of funny shows. It was the show that I gave as my podcast of the year was one of their shows. And he was recently talking about this in a way that I really resonated, where he says he knows things that's going on in video games, But it is not his job to break news. They report on news. Right. Yep. And like that was what kind of what you were saying too a Uh minute ago. And it's like there are things that I know that somebody has told me that I don't talk about. Doesn't happen very often, but it happens. Sure. It does happen. It's not I don't see it as my responsibility here to try and like give you breaking news. Like I'm more of like and the way I look at our show here is like, say with rumor roundup, things are reported. We talk about what's been reported and like, and I think that that makes a lot more sense than like, somebody's told me this thing. It's just like a little thing somebody's told me most of the time. It's like, I can't really do anything with this. There's kind of no point. I'll just keep it in my back pocket. Like it's just a piece of information I know, but I can't do anything with it.
1: What I value, for that stuff, I agree. That's that's exactly it, which is like, it's not my job to to root out secrets and break them. It's like, again, not saying that isn't a valid job. That's not what I have chosen. It really is. We have a whole segment of this show that relies yes. on people doing We it. We paid for art for the chapter. If you haven't seen it, yeah. just look sometime. It's amazing. Yes, but it's not my job. I've chosen not to do that job. However, sometimes you get information, and it's great when it adds context, right? Like, I... I like hearing from people who know stuff about what Apple has done or is doing because it it, it helps my understanding because we talk a lot about the black box, right? We talk a lot about that. So when I said I got some inkling earlier, you know, in the last week about our, our, our talk about, like, was there a time when Apple, you know, when Apple thought the iPad was the future and the Mac was a legacy product that was going to go away? And I got some feedback saying, yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, but uh, without a lot of detail. But but again, and it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, it's good to know that we're not completely off. It would have been interesting if somebody said, no, that's absolutely never the case. I'd be like, oh, well, that's interesting. I need to recalibrate, right? Like that, that stuff can help. And it can help to, to know when we're talking about, like, are they even going to ship this thing or what's going on with the VR headset? You know, I have heard, again, from, like, people in, the, like, that the hardware is, like, it's done. It's ready. <laughs> it's ready. They're probably making them. I don't know that for sure. But, like, that, that is not a question. Like, that product exists. And that's interesting. But Like, before I heard about them showing it to the top 100. So, like, context can help. And it can help your analysis of it. But, like, that's not the same. It's not the same, but that, I do love that stuff. I do love the, and, and if people want to send it to us, like, go ahead. I was just going to say, and now if, if you heard this and you work at Apple, you know we're not going to tell people the information. Yeah. So if anyway. you want to
0: just give it to us, we'll take it.
1: No, but but no, but no, that's the problem though, is if it's, I can tell you this, but you can't report it, then everything gets weird, right? Because then you're like, if yeah. I know, if we do a draft and I know that there's a 15 inch MacBook Air that's coming out, I, I know it hard clear from sources i can't i can't pick it from the draft i can't write a speculative column about what it might be because now i'm burning my sources because i know exactly what it might be i kind of don't want to play that game that's
0: all part of the gentleman's agreement that's the gentleman's agreement
1: right it is i don't want to play that game so yeah it's it's tricky and the answer but the overarching answer i wanted to give colin is part of it is you 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 know, you choose your career path. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're thrown into a particular job and you have to do it. But also, sometimes you gravitate toward the things you like and the things you want to do. And if you are fortunate enough to be able to do that, it will take you away from other things. And going out on my own, I could literally make my job anything I want. And I chose things that I thought I could do that would allow me to make a living that would be things that would make me happy and fulfilled as a professional person. And uh, some combination of those is why I don't have a, a a you know I don't break Apple rumors because it's not a thing a thing that I'm particularly good at. So it would take a huge amount of effort to try to be better at it. I've got other stuff that I think I'm good at that I am doing. So in the end, that's what I've chosen, and that's like that. That's a lesson I had to learn because coming from MacWorld, I was like, well, let's cover everything. I've got a staff. You write about this. You write about that. We'll cover everything. And then I go out on my own. And then I, and then, yeah, Dan Dan Morin too. But like even with two of us. It's like just two two people. Like there's there's literally not enough time in the week to do everything, or even a fraction of everything. You really have to pick your spots.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Upgrade. You can send us your feedback, follow-up, and your ask upgrade questions over at upgradefeedback.com. Yeah, in the meantime, before next week's episode, you can check out Jason's writing at sixcolors.com and hear his podcast at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM, like Downstream, which we were talking about earlier on the show. You can listen to my podcasts here on RelayFM and check out my work over at cortexbrand.com. We're both on Mastodon. You can find Jason on zeppelin.flights as at jsnell. And you can find me on mike.social as at imike. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus. You can go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up. This week, we're going to be talking about our experience of using Raycast for the last week in the latest Upgrade Plus challenge. I want to thank our sponsors again, Electric, Setup and ZocDoc for their support of this week's episode and helping to make it possible. But the people that make it most possible are you. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.